Well, now it's time for us to get into the Word, and today we start a new sermon series titled, Misquoted, Explaining the Bible's Most Misused Verses. Our sermon this morning is tentatively titled, I Can Do All Things, from Philippians 4, 13. When I was a child, I mitigated my boredom by reading. My mom had bought me these little kids' books. They weren't chapter books, I guess, but they were books to help kids read. And I still remember them fondly. One of them was Ferdinand the Bull. The other one was First Pink Light. I don't know if anyone knows that one. The story about Ping, Little Duck. And most famously, the little engine that could. It's about a little train engine who's got to get toys and food to children on the other side of a big mountain. But as the little train engine struggled to get up the mountain, it had to find the strength as it got harder and harder. And so it digs down deep deep somewhere inside, and musters up the self-confidence and says, what does it say? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Until it makes it all the way up the mountain to the other side. Now, does anyone remember what the little engine said when it got to the other side? I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. It's a story about the value of optimism and hard work. And it's a good story. It fits with America's sort of can-do spirit. What a lot of people don't realize is it was written in 1930 during the Great Depression. Stock market crashed the year before. And so children and people need to be inf- needed to be infused with the kind of hope and determination that There were still possibilities. This was still the land of possibilities and potential. And for people to succeed, it does take a kind of can-do grit and determination, doesn't it? Hasn't that been your experience, to get things done, especially big things? You know, you have to kind of dig down deep sometimes and have a can-do spirit. Frankly, there are times when you really need that. You need other people to tell you, you got this. You can do it. I know I needed that. I still need it. It's a good mantra. You can do anything you put your mind to, or a lot of things you put your mind to, you can do. And sometimes we can take certain ideas or concepts and Christianize them, And the Christianized version of this has become, I can do all things, dot, 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 through God, dot, 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 who strengthens me. And at first blush, it sounds humble and chastened, doesn't it? It's like a winning formula for Christians. I can't do it on my own, but with Christ I can. Some of you right now are thinking, 
What's wrong with that? You can't climb up that hill on your own, but add a little God or Jesus in the mix, and voila, you've got the winning recipe. You got yourself a success story. How'd you do it? I did it with Christ. But what seems like a great principle can quickly become an unwise slogan for foolhardy ventures based on faulty theology or bad interpretation. Hey, did you say you invested all of your retirement and life savings in Bitcoin? Isn't that kind of risky? I mean, like, what if the bottom drops out like a lot of experts are predicting? I'm not worried. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or, hey, I heard you're going to go base jumping off the Eiffel Tower. Have you ever done that before? Nope. Wouldn't it be wise to start out with, like, a professional and to start out small? You might hurt yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know, I know, these are extreme and silly examples. Maybe a more realistic example is, I really need an A on this test. I've had no time to study, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I suspect many people, maybe in naivete as Christians, have run aground in business, careers, relationships, or even ministry ventures like church planting because they thought that a little bit of positive thinking and a verse like this was all they needed. But the truth is, God doesn't bless everything we do. That verse is no guarantee that everything we do will be successful. He's not a talisman, right? God, you just utter the right incantation and... You know, bam, you're like King Midas. Everything you touch turns to gold. And you might be saying right now, but Jordan, it's right there in the Bible. We can do all things through him. God strengthens and empowers us. Indeed, he does. But what does he promise to strengthen and empower? That's the topic of our sermon and message this morning is getting a little bit at the context that we might be better at using God's word to live. To live skillfully as Christians, as followers of Christ. To know how to carefully handle the word so that we don't shipwreck our faith because we think God lied to us. So let's look at the whole context of that verse, Philippians 4.10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, Paul says. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In other words, you didn't have any money to support me. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, Paul says. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
A little bit about the context and the background. Paul was a traveling missionary and church planter, and he traveled throughout Asia Minor, what is Greece and modern-day Turkey, planting churches. And he was a tent maker, and so sometimes he worked to support himself, but there were times where he just couldn't and needed the support of other churches. In the same way that our church supports missionaries and those that minister abroad. And he said this to the Corinthians, when I was with you, I was in need. I didn't burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. In other words, Paul, as much as he probably didn't want to, was preoccupied often with financial support. He wanted to focus on the work of ministry, but he had to reach out from time to time. And he wrote to the various churches saying, hey, I know that the pledge you made you weren't able to come through with, but the brothers and sisters in Macedonia helped me out, so don't feel too bad. But he would update them about his situation, about how God was supplying his needs, and God at times was sovereignly pleased to allow Paul to suffer at times going without. Some churches were richer than others, and sometimes financial pledges came through, and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes things got really rough for Paul. He had to endure lack and hardship often. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, mistreated, and homeless. Did you know that about the Apostle Paul? That there were times where he was homeless, maybe sleeping out in a field with a light blanket or sheet? He said in 2 Corinthians, we are in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. It's a far cry from the five-star hotels, the traveling preachers of today and televangelists experience. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to stay in a five-star hotel, but that's not what Paul experienced. He had to find a way to endure suffering and tribulations and uncertainty. He had to find a way to be able to be steady and stable in his faith when the pendulum swung from side to side and when the future was a question mark and when tomorrow was uncertain, when he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. Some of you may have experienced that, and I success, suspect, though, most of us haven't. We have not had to live that kind of touch-and-go, day-to-day existence of uncertainty. And there's a pain in it, I'm telling you. There's a pain in that kind of life. Not knowing where the next meal is going to come from and enduring. And Paul is saying that he found a way to be okay through it all. Look again what he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is saying that contentment, the ability to be satisfied in want or in plenty 
is only possible through God's empowering, through God's strengthening. Contentment, the ability to endure any kind of situation, it comes from God's strengthening. It only comes from God. Have you ever been staring down the barrel of a scary situation, like maybe a job loss or joblessness, or a salary cut or bankruptcy, or an illness like a cancer diagnosis where you don't know what's going to happen in six months, and said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Maybe you have. And if this verse has been a go-to for you, you've got great theology. I suspect many people, though, have not looked to this verse because that's not how they think about this verse. The application of this verse is contentment when life throws curveballs at you, hard things at you, things that hit home, when tomorrow is uncertain and the future is a question mark. So I want to do something this morning which is a near application and a far application, and a near application is, in its immediate context for Paul in the first century and those he's writing to, what does it mean? The far application is, what does it mean for us today removed by 21 centuries? So here's the near application, okay? God enables us to endure anything related to obedience to him and service to others. That's the all things Paul is talking about. God enables us to endure Anything related to obedience to him and service to others. Paul was confident that any and all things related to that he could do in God's power. I said earlier, God doesn't bless everything we do. It doesn't mean he doesn't bless us. He always is blessing us, even when we fail at certain things. And sometimes failing at certain things is a part of God's sovereign plan. But it doesn't mean he's not blessing us. Sometimes we can launch into foolhardy ventures that God is saying, this is nuts. I, you know, this is not, it's not a part of my kingdom purposes. And we do things because we can't hear audibly from God often, right, to discern exactly what to do. But, you know, sometimes it's just plain abusing the passage, right? Using God is sort of a good luck charm. We've just mixed a little... God and Jesus into whatever we want to do, and we, we assume that we're going to have success. Here's the far application, okay, for us living all these years later. God can enable us to endure circumstances beyond our control when we look to him in faith. Joshua 1 and 5, quoted by the New Testament, I will be with you, I will not leave you, or forsake you. Why is that verse important? Because I think that people that use this verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, when they are doing things that they are hoping for a good outcome, but they're not sure or guaranteed of the outcome, I think this is the verse you want. That God will be with you he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And that is true. That even when we do things that we use, we're using poor judgment, right? Or they're foolhardy. 
God is with us. Now maybe you're thinking, great, thanks for raining on my parade, Jordan. You've just robbed my confidence that God blesses me in all of my endeavors. The truth is, God does bless us in all our endeavors, even when those endeavors fail. Failure isn't nearly as bad as we think it is. We are learning and being conformed and being shaped into the image of Christ through the things in our lives that succeed and the things in our lives that fail and fall apart. God is conforming us to the likeness and image of his son Jesus through all of those things. But nowhere, as I mentioned a moment ago, in scripture are we ever told that everything we touch will turn to gold. That everything we do will be successful. I've shared the story in the past, for those of you who haven't heard it, uh, I learned this the hard way firsthand. I was bivocational in ministry in California and I was working for a home builder and the housing you know, boom was sort of tapering off and I did not sort of think about all the things it would affect and I had, there was someone in my church who owned a dump truck. He was an owner and operator of a big rig dump truck and hired himself out and was making a lot of money. And my opportunities ran out, so I refinanced my house, I pulled some cash out, I bought a big rig, I went to trucking school, I got a commercial license, and I hired my dump truck out to rock and gravel and asphalt companies, and I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I was ministering in the church the, most, as, you know, the best I could, and I was trying to hold down a job, and, but the materials, building materials industry fell through too a year later. You know, the housing Market slowed down, building slowed down. Guess what? Materials slowed down too. And in a year, I was out of business and out of money and couldn't pay the mortgage and lost my home, the home I raised my kids in. And I got to be honest with you, it was brutal. Um, we lost everything. 15 years we were in that home. And it was really for the sake of ministry. I was just, I was trying to do everything I could to to support myself. I had no connections. There was no one saying, don't worry, we've got you covered. I was totally on my own. And people who were in that business thought I was crazy. I just like jumped right into it. But out of it, I got a job with the broker, the materials broker, and I became sort of a, uh, I worked for the broker for years while I was in ministry, bivocational as a, as a pastor. And in fact, I worked that job for seven years, and it was the job I left in the end of 2013 to come here to St. Louis to go to seminary. And the discontentment with that job, because after like five or six years, I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life, you know. God knew exactly what he was doing, and I wouldn't be right here in this pulpit in St. Louis if it wasn't for that failure. And so my heart grieved for a long time over that, but I look back and I realize that God's sovereign hand was in the failure of that business, losing my home, working for the broker as a dispatcher for seven years, and finally being so malcontent enough that I said, I can't live this way. I'm going to go to seminary and give it all I got in ministry. And here I am. I've been at this church now six years. We've been living in St. Louis about seven, seven and a half God was with me through that whole time. 
He never guaranteed the business would be successful. It was shameful. Do you know how shameful it is to lose your home? Home foreclosure, business fail. I mean, I was just failing. I was hitting, I was, I mean, all the cylinders of failure were firing. There was no victory cylinders firing, right? And all of the name it, claim it, baloney in the world couldn't change that circumstance because that's not how God works. God calls us to trust him and to know that he is with us when life doesn't make sense, when things fall apart. And he doesn't say you will have success in everything you do. What he says is I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God is with us and promises to never abandon us. That is the hope, I think, that we can grab a hold of. Especially when things fall apart. I think the misinterpretation of Philippians 4.13 really comes from a good place. That may sound weird. It's the desire that we all have to know that God is there for us, strengthening us through his love and intimate fellowship. It's good to be positive, to look at all circumstances with a can-do spirit when things are challenging and say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But rest assured, that even when you can't, God is still there. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, O oh God, for the sobering truth that you do give us the strength to endure hardship and that every situation and circumstance that requires contentment you strengthen us through. We can endure every situation. We can endure all hardships, the ups and downs and ebb and flow of life, the joys and celebrations and victories and the failures when things come crashing down, when the ship runs aground. You strengthen us to endure it all. And you give us the gift of contentment to be able to endure like Paul who was able to endure plenty and want, fullness and hunger, warmth and cold, shelter and homelessness. You strengthen us and it is only through your power that we are able to do it all. We are your children, O oh God, and we know that you care for us but you are also conforming us into the likeness and image of your son Jesus who suffered in this life. And so help us, O oh God, to endure all suffering, all hardship, to the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.